Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of like, you know, the head in the fishbowl. Then it takes me into the bathroom and says, this is how you brush your teeth. Brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat. But there were two girls. And it was like, you don't have to give us a ride. You can't fill us now. He can't refuse us. He'll let us in his car. Thoughts were all alone in this empty void. All right, Rob. Adam. Doing an intro. Yeah. How's it going? Doing an intro. I might have a guest. We may have a guest. Yes. <laughs> yes. In fact, I will say I will say that we will have a guest. How about that? All right. Adam's optimistic. So I, I, I am I am optimistic now. Yes. Yes. You're speaking we, it into existence. Yeah. Yes. If you speak it into existence, it will it's, happen. You've got the secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the power yeah. of positivity. Yeah. Yeah. Um we're going to talk, hopefully be talking about Hidden History of Nashville, which we will probably be talking about anyway if we don't have the guest, since, you know, Serfiel and I have both read the book. Ah, gotcha. So, and uh, but I think we're only going to have him for about maybe 30, 40 minutes, and then we're going to do something on the flip side. Ooh. So there's a few couple of articles that I want to read and, and get an idea. And we have Serfiel rejoining us tonight. Yes, sir. How y'all doing? Doing pretty good, man. Cool, cool. Um, just you got to meet Doctor Future last night. Well, you had met him before, but yeah, that, that get to sit down and uh, that was pretty cool. Have have some time with him. Yeah, we went down a few rabbit holes. That was pretty cool. <laughs> went to yeah, the that steakhouse. Yeah, that always does happen with Mike. We were gonna do the Mongolian barbecue, but uh, we had to settle for the steakhouse. But it was, it was good. It was good. Yeah, those bastards closed at like nine o'clock. Mongolian barbecue. Yeah, the Mongolian barbecue. Man, and you got you got grilled, man. 
Yeah, yeah. Grilled, I, I, I was trying to ask him questions, but it turned into a uh, quiz of my my life and background. What was your life story? <laughs> Everybody wants to know what your life story is. He said it would inform his uh, uh, his view of my opinions. I guess. <laughs> and we had a we had a we had a, a St. Patrick's Day party in here. Yeah, we did, and Adam's insistent that you're going to hear a clip of karaoke at the end of this show, so. Yeah, yeah. Y'all are welcome yeah. for that. Sung by <laughs> one of the people that is in this room. I'm trying to keep him from posting it online. Well, it's going to get posted <laughs> online, just audio-wise. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can always go with Luke's rendition of uh, Carry On by Wayward Son. Ooh, that, did you catch that one? I got that one too. No, we we can we can use use the clip you got. Okay, okay. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let that be a surprise for the end of the show. Yeah, because la- he got the last karaoke outro. Yeah, well, I think I've had like two or three karaoke outros with him <laughs> uh, on it. So yeah. Uh, so let's uh, let's go to the guest, hopefully. And guys, I'll be we'll be back after that. And we're going to kind of like have a little bit of a romper room format. So we'll be back on Conspiracy Normal. Okay, guys, we are here on Conspiracy Normal, and we have the guest on the line. We have uh, Mr. George Zepp, who's written a book called The Hidden History of Nashville. And uh, I know that everybody, obviously everybody that listens to us are not you know, from Nashville or don't live in Nashville, but we just thought this would be a cool thing to do uh, about kind of like our own local yeah, town we, around here. We've talked about it for a long time, having having a local guest that can give some insight into some of the history and some of the 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 stranger stuff that abounds in in, in the history of our our hometown. So right. this is gonna be really cool for us. And of course, everybody's hometown, no matter where you are, has something weird and interesting or stuff that you didn't even know. And reading this book, there was a lot that I obviously did not know about the history of Nashville. I've lived here for 15 years. I'm not a native, um, but there was still so much that I did not know, such as why there is a an airport uh, called Cornelia Fort Airport, which I've seen, and I had absolutely no idea who Cornelia Fort was until I read this book. So that's the type of thing that you'll that you'll get in this book. So, George, welcome to Conspiracy Normal. It's great to have you. Thank you. Great to be here. Absolutely. Um, we're glad to have you on. Uh, so I want, I wanted to start out by asking you, um, how do you came to write this book? Like what, what brought your interest in all this kind of interesting and or unusual or kind of hidden aspects of, of Nashville history? Well, sure. Um, I was, uh, an editor at the Tennessean newspaper and, um, they wanted to do something that would help um, newcomers to, to Nashville because we're getting so many these uh, these days, and we're even back then in uh, oh, 2002 absolutely. when I started 
when I started this this column that they asked me to do on Nashville history. And the idea was to let folks write in about questions they had and sort of provide answers. And uh, after eight years of doing that from 2002 to um, 2010, this book came out in 2009. Yeah, it was, was a compilation of, of some of the best columns. <laughs> It was interesting to read the section about uh, Opry Mills being flooded, the Great Opry Mills flood, right. and seeing that this right. book came out in two. I was like, "When did this book come out?" So I look at it; it says two thousand nine, and I'm like, "Probably not too long after your book came out, it got flooded again." <laughs> well, yeah, the successor, the successor to uh, Opryland, yeah, Opry Mills, yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, are no you surprised there? Are you a native of Nashville? Uh, actually, Clarksville, but I, I moved here in 1974, so um, okay, been here quite a while. Okay, yeah, you've 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 been here quite a while. You also uh, uh, in the book talks about a, another place called Historic Rugby. Um, that I guess you right. spend your time between here and there. What is Historic That's Rugby? Right. It's an 1880 British settlement up on the Cumberland Plateau near the Big South Fork National Rec uh, River and Recreation Area, and um, it's on the southern tip of that, and a real beautiful area, but a lot of history in the little town where my great-grandfather settled in 1881. Cool. Yeah, that's, yeah. I, I, I saw the uh, the website about it yesterday. It looks It does look pretty interesting. Uh, is that uh, off of like yeah. US 27 or 127? Yeah, it's sort of between 27 and 127. Yeah, in that area. Uh huh. Okay. Right off uh, Scenic Highway 52. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, I've been. Yeah, I've been through that area. I I, I went to, to a a music festival that my cousin was playing at, uh, and some other other little place that was like a old like. It was like made like an old west town. It was kind of an interesting place oh, up right, on right. Uh, yeah. up close to Oneida. In Scott County, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Next county up. Uh, actually, we're on the border there between Morgan, Scott, and Fentress, and our cemeteries in Scott County, but uh, most of us is in Morgan County in rugby. <laughs> okay, so it's pretty close. I'm going to have to get yeah, up. That sounds fair. like a good like day trip to go up there and do that some weekend or something. Definitely, definitely. But uh, let's. I want to get into the into the book uh, with you. Um, right. The 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 one story, one of the stories that I found really interesting, um, and my friend Serfiel can add a lot to this. He's been telling me a lot about this. Was uh, Ben Allen? Uh, he was like a famous Freemason here in Nashville, and there's also a house. So let's talk a little bit about that. And I don't know, some people may know him from Ben Allen Road up off of Galton Pike there. So that was named after him. But he was really a fascinating guy. Uh, and I wish I could have gotten more into him in the book. But, of course, writing for a newspaper, you're limited in space you have. So sure. I wasn't able to do more than sort of hint at his uh, eccentricities. <laughs> But one of my colleagues, uh, former colleague, uh, Margaret Lindsley Warden, who um, uh, was, a, was quite a writer for, for the paper many years, um, a lot of years back, uh, wrote a great account of him. And um, I'd sort of like to share some of that with you if you, if you want to hear it. It's yeah, really sure. fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she, uh, she died in 2007 at age 103. <laughs> 
Oh, wow. So the author, you know, goes way back. And uh, uh, so her stories do too. But uh, Benjamin Bentley Allen became such a legend while he was living that fiction mingled with fact. This is from her writing. Only a select few were invited to his house, but just about everybody heard of the handsome furnishings and art objects, the elegant dinner parties, the gold and silver vessels and jewelry he made in the small mechanic shop behind the house. Most of all, they heard about his stunts in hypnotism and spiritualism. Now, I should explain this was happening uh, on uh, 8th Avenue South. Uh, in like the first block of 8th Avenue South in downtown Nashville. Uh, the house was at 125 8th Avenue South. And it's it's sort of next door to where now the First Lutheran Church is, behind the federal courthouse on Broadway. And um, she goes on to um, explain the most interesting thing that they did, which was to have seances at this house. So when asked to explain his skill in the supernatural, Ben Allen would would reply quietly and briefly that it was just a natural force like electricity that one learned to use. But to many of his best friends, it was unwholesome black magic Mm. and a possible contributor to a good and brilliant man's breakdown when only 55. Ben Allen was such a good hypnotist that he could mesmerize people in his own game. A mind reader at a local theater was one of his victims. A young man employed at the Tulane Hotel was such an easy subject for Allen's power that he left Nashville to escape from it. Sick people who could be quieted no other way and several surgical patients who could not take anesthetics were put to sleep by Allen's powers of suggestion. Hmm. And then she goes on to talk about one of the say of the what happened in, generally in the seances, which was really, really strange. What were some of the things that happened? Uh, so she, sa- she says, uh, two or three times a week around the dining room table, dark except for a faint light from the hall, those present were usually the same regulars, though some neighbors and relatives attended a few times and went home too scared to sleep. Strangely enough, when fingers were locked around the table, It was the practical extroverted Miss Sue, and this is his wife, who was the medium or the sensitive. It was for her that the spirits wrapped messages and the thing came. Uh, uh, uh. Sometimes the thing, yes. Sometimes the psychic husband was not even in the house. A rush of wind that rustled the ladies' voluminous petticoats usually announced the arrival of the thing. Hmm. Some felt the thing to be like a large cat. Others like an arm without hand or fingers. Besides rubbing legs, unbuttoning high-buttoned shoes, and rattling silver and china, other phenomena were attributed to it. The big table would rise and push people around the room. An occasional putrid odor would necessitate circle breaking and window opening. One night, a noise like the furnace had exploded was traced to the Buddha. And this was a statue, a statuette he'd gotten from an Indian mystic. The Buddha had toppled from its base. Mm. Nearly every night, some skeptic who thought it all rubbish would turn on the light, hoping to catch one of the party under the table or making noises. But this, they never did. Indeed, the thing took a special fancy to some of these doubters 
It followed one to his summer home and pulled off the bed covers several nights until he left there. So this is the kind of thing that they were up to then on 8th Avenue South, just a block from Broadway. <laughs> hmm. That's right where I work. Yeah. 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 Aren't but, you building a house over there, Sir Phil? Aren't you yeah. building an apartment over there? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is really close to Broadway, so probably not. You know, yeah, it's yeah. not very residential these days. Yeah, very true. Um, but then early in 1910 or sooner, um, Ben Allen was not himself. Um, and he went to one or two of the large cities and hospitals and nothing as it developed. Uh, was able to help him, but, but definitely he was physically ill. And then the late afternoon of July the 13th, of course, the 13th of 1910, he passed away at home after several weeks of delirium and the highest fever the thermometer could register. They called his ailment brain fever. Some thought he had brought it on by trying to fathom too many deep mysteries. (laughs) So this leads into his funeral, which was definitely the most unusual funeral I've ever read about. Um, it was a, a Scottish Rite funeral called a Kadash, and it was held at midnight, and it was held in a church, and a church that's still still standing there, the um, McKendry Methodist on Church Street. So this is what uh, the account is of, of what happened then. Um, Draped in the white regalia of, of the Rose Cross, the body of Ben Allen was borne to the McKendry Church by relays of six Masonic knights in robe and cowl, carrying lighted tapers. Four mailed knights with drawn swords preceded the coffin into the church, which was lighted only by three candelabra of three candles each on the altar. About 100 knights in black robes and cowls followed the body. As the clock struck midnight, the white-clad precept, Joe T. Howell, started the solemn and dramatic ceremonies, which lasted an hour and ten minutes, and were reported in detail in the papers. After the song, Sunset and Evening Star, was sung, the coffin lid was closed, the flowers and some of the earthly vanities which had been removed in the proceedings were restored, and the procession left the church just as it had entered. The next afternoon, July 15th, there were services at the house and at Mount Olivet. And so this leads into his widow um, deciding she wants to get away from that that house and all the memories that it had with her husband and all they'd been through together there. And so she built a residence um, on the southeast edge of Centennial Park, uh, 25th Avenue North. And that is the place where the funeral home is today still a funeral home, a successor of the one that, uh, that came to be there after she, um, she first moved in there in 1912 and lived there till 1923 when she sold it and went back to her, her original family home. And it's been a funeral home ever since. So who knows what spirits are there, but, um, no stories about that. I don't think. Do you, cause us, I've been by that funeral home. We've Sirfiel's taken me over there, and yeah. uh, that there's that window, 
with that very strange. I took a picture of it. That very strange. It's like it's like an eye that has like these tentacles coming out of it. Do yeah, you have any idea what that is? It's probably a Masonic symbol, and uh, you know that is one of the original windows of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been changed a little bit, but that that is an original feature. So I think I think it's a Masonic symbol. Do you, okay. do you think it might be the, the thing? No, <laughs> no, the, the thing was never pictured, but but uh, it's certainly strange enough to yeah to conjure that image. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a very it's very bizarre, and I and it's uh, the original windows. I guess it's the the only one that's still left. So I wonder if there were other designs like that on any of the other windows. And I've never seen anything like that. That eye with the strange snake-looking things coming off of it. Yeah, yeah. Of course, there's there's a strange eye on some of the uh, U.S. Uh, paper currency, and that's a, uh, uh, from right. a Masonic um, design as well. So right, right. I would imagine it has something to do with that, even though he wasn't part of the building of the house. You know, the window could have come from somewhere else, too, So mm-hmm. and been installed there. Don't know. Yeah, that's true. That. Um, I wanted to ask you, too, about... Um there's you also talk about in that same chapter uh a house um that was allowed to fall into disrepair and it was said to have right. some kind of curse on it right the uh the uh Schnell uh, residence yes. used to be on music row uh uh that that's quite a story in itself um and it it is reminiscent of, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever read Dickens' Great Expectations, where Miss Havisham, who doesn't get married because her, she gets stood up at the last minute, wears her wedding dress so it falls off practically and keeps everything, her, including her wedding cake there, ready for the event. It's, it's real similar to that. And it was um, a German family named Schnell. And the father uh, made quite a fortune for himself, I'd say, in Nashville terms, as a grain merchant. Lived on Jefferson Street, not far from, uh, I don't know if you know the the Geist uh, Ironworks over there that's been made into a restaurant lately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It would have been close to that uh, in Germantown. And uh, he made enough money that he decided he'd build this mansion on uh, in the suburbs, which 12th Avenue, uh, or sorry, 16th Avenue South then was. <laughs> right. <laughs> and moved his family in there. And he had daughters and a son, three daughters and a son, two daughters and a son, sorry. And when his daughters neared the age when they would have a coming out for society and need to look for uh, suitable husbands, um, he decided he'd have a grand party for them there, invite everybody in society to come. But society was not too cooperative, and hardly anybody showed up for their debut that day. And he'd hired an orchestra and employed, you know, ordered food and had it catered to, and it was in the ballroom, um, big event, supposedly, but, but he was snubbed. So he uh, decided that from that moment forward, um, nothing should happen to the house that would um, preserve it. It should just be left as it is, not tended to or 
kept up in any way. And that's what happened. And his son became a council member, but then he later moved out of town. And the two daughters lived there um, in isolation, basically. And when the roof would leak, they would do nothing. Uh, when oh. the heat didn't work anymore, they would do nothing. Uh, and so it, it was really a, an eyesore uh, eventually. And people thought it was very strange that they would see these figures up in the windows of the of the women as they aged. Um, you know, not not hard, hardly ever coming out. And finally. Um, uh, the last of them died, um, but not until 1974. And it was around that time that the building got torn down shortly after that because um, her will was not very specific about who should inherit it. She wanted to leave it to the Humane Society, but some of her distant relatives uh, challenged that, and they ended up getting uh, uh, ex- uh, possession of it and sold it. And so that might have been the end of the story, strange story, but uh, another building was built there that became um, uh, home to some record companies, uh, an office building. And that building began to have strange um, occurrences. Oh, really? Occurrences. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Uh, some of the rooms on the second floor would be icy cold when they're on the same heating system as everywhere else that was, was normal. And hmm. some of the computers and printers would misbehave in weird ways. And they had some little minor fires and pipe breaks that occurred. And some of the employees became really spooked. So they decided, the management decided, well, you know, this is getting really bad. We've got to do something. So they called in for um, to a psychic who claimed to, to be able to uh, know about ghostly things. And they brought her in to exercise the uh, spirits that were there. And apparently she, she claimed she recognized them and was able to take them out in her hands, huh. whatever that means. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you know, after that, I think things got better. So who knows if it was the sisters there or not, but it was, it was something going on and that building's still there. I also found it interesting that there's actually, we would have had, two presidential homes in Nashville, but one of them yeah. got knocked down. Right. That's another problem with the bad will Yeah, that had loopholes in it. And, uh, and, uh, the, um, the loopholes were challenged and, um, uh, the president's home got, got torn down. Yeah. Yeah. They booed president Polk's, uh, grave and body over to the Capitol grounds. Yeah, it's still there, and apparently there was a decision just this week that it'll remain there, even though the Polk home in Columbia wants to um, take possession of it and <laughs> move it to his childhood home that's been preserved there in Columbia, Tennessee. Oh, okay. So they've they decided that this week then, because I, I yeah, last yeah. I heard they were talking about it. When whenever right, they've been talking about it for months. Whenever I went, like I remember going over to with my dad when I first moved to Nashville. And I remember going to the Capitol grounds and we just stumbled across that. And it was just like, it, he's just, it's just like right there, President Polk's body right, <laughs> on right. the Capitol grounds. Yeah. 
in a very strange spot, sort of isolated. Yeah, a lot of people it, don't know he's uh, there. Yeah, right. We well, you know the architect of the Capitol's buried in the Capitol wall there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the north side, so it's not far away. <laughs> there's, there's also another part that I found really interesting because um, we live out here towards the east part of town, so we're pretty familiar with uh, the Percy Priest Lake and all that. And I, I just, I find it interesting about all the uh, when when it was being built and all the bodies that they had to remove. And also there was also a plot to, to blow up the dam <laughs> at one point. Right. As strange as it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> and it, you know, it could have succeeded had the, had the plotters been a little bit more uh, knowledgeable about what they were doing, I guess. <laughs> uh, but it was very strange that they thought they could flood stores downstream from there so that they could go in with scuba gear and, take things out, <laughs> you know, st- steal items. <laughs> so their first problem was that they didn't have enough explosive and they didn't put it in the right spot. It did blow up, but it didn't do any damage to the dam. So, and even if they had breached the dam, the water would not have flooded the stores as that they were targeting. So, <laughs> They were really bungling, but it was an interesting uh, concept anyway. Uh, the, you mentioned that where they blew it up is actually a pond now that's that's is, around that area. Is what? Is there there's like a pond now or something over there where they actually pl- tried to blow it up? Like the, the, the crater or whatever is like a little pond or something? Uh, I don't think so, but anyway, okay. there might be. Okay. They they did manage to get the explosive inside it, but it just wasn't enough to to damage it very much. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I got gotcha. you. You you mentioned the uh, hey, this is uh, Serfiel. Uh, you mentioned that the architect of the Capitol is is buried within the wall. Yeah, Strickland. Uh huh. That's Williams. So if you go on the yeah, Williams. If you go on the tour of the Capitol, they'll they'll mention it, but it's. He's sort of in um, a balcony overlooking the the, uh, the north side there. So, and, and he was also the architect for some other uh, buildings in Nashville, yeah. right? And and in Philadelphia and other places. So he's a pretty well known architect. And did he do the uh, he did that Presbyterian church with the Egyptian reliefs in it as well? Yeah, First Presbyterian. Yeah, exactly. Uh huh. He did. Can you give a little background on that? Because it's it's really beautiful. I don't think a lot of people uh, really notice it, um, but I've been in there and around it. It's it's pretty nice. Yeah, it had all this Egyptian theme going on, and particularly inside. But uh, they persuaded him to um, to do it because he'd already done the Capitol or was in the process of doing the Capitol, and uh, he was here. And they thought that that would be a, a great thing if he if he helped with that. So he did. Um, that's like the oldest, um, uh, one of the oldest churches in, at least in downtown Nashville. And, uh, amazing that it's still here after so many years. You, t- you also talk about the oldest house in Nashville is actually on the, is actually inside the bluff. Oh yeah. Well, maybe <laughs> there are a lot of legends around that. The, the cave that Timothy yeah. Mumbrian, uh, occupied, uh, when, he was uh, here in the very, very, very early days of Nashville. That 
he may have used uh, at least uh, part of the time to escape from Indians and uh, wild beasts and keep his family safe. That's still it's uh, on the National Register and it's uh, it's uh, still visible, but it's hard to see unless you're actually on the river uh, looking up. So if you ever take a river uh, cruise or have a friend with a boat, uh, have them go uh, go by there. You could also get a, it's got a you can get a decent view from uh, Shelby Shelby Bottoms the Greenway. Yeah, um, there's a spot yeah, yeah, where you can see right. it. That's, yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but that's right. With all the greenways around, that that's one of them. Could you actually get to it? Is it is it accessible? No, it's blocked off. And okay, it's hard to hard to reach too. Uh, but if you if you did manage to reach it, it's it's blocked off, so you can't get in it. Uh, um, I, you know, I haven't tried to get close to it these days, but uh, apparently, it's very difficult. Okay. I also wanted to ask you about the because you have a, a pretty big section about the the prostitution during the Civil War. Uh, this is a little bit of our Nashville history that we can claim yeah. with pride. <laughs> Nashville was the was like the earliest or maybe only place in, in that era to have legalized prostitution simply because of all the Union soldiers who were here then, and they needed some way to. Um, control the diseases that were running rampant from, from that, uh, oldest profession. And so they, they pretty much forced to, um, uh, to legalize it in order to control it and make sure that the prostitutes got regular medical checkups and were healthy. Um, so that's, that's something few people know about too. Yeah. Yeah. They did a whole thing about it. in one of the, I think a couple of things on the like history channel, they talked yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, they had a couple programs about it. Yeah, but it but it's then, really interesting. And there was a question about whether the Union's Major General Joseph Hooker became the uh, the uh, uh, namesake of hookers, but but apparently that was uh, it predated him, so it might have lent itself a little bit to promoting that name, but not it was not the origin of it. So is that a myth that Hooker uh, Hooker yeah, was responsible? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it, it predated him, but you know, uh, it didn't hurt that that uh, his name was the same, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I suppose so. That's true. Uh, the The reservoir uh, section was also uh, fascinating. I I had never heard of this. Like there was this, there was a flood, and uh, some interesting things about women would throw unwanted babies into this thing and. Well, that was sort of, I mean, there's not too much documentation of that, but gotcha. people, that was urban urban legend anyway. And, you know, it could have happened, but mm-hmm. uh, there's no support to, you know, to really prove that part of it. But you could walk around up there. It was a park and, uh, you know, stands to reason somebody might have tried that at some point. But the interesting thing is when it, when it um, broke, um, it swept houses off their foundations down below it and uh, swept people out of their beds because it was in the middle of the night. Some of the people found themselves floating on their beds because of all the water that came out. <laughs> oh, <there>. man. <laughs> Crazy. But the good part about it, it's divided in two up there, and it was only half of it that came out. So all these millions of gallons of water that came out, it could have been much worse if it had been uh, 
a total breach of the whole thing. And where so they still had half of it. Sorry. Where is that located at? Eighth uh, Avenue South. Okay. Okay. Uh, before you know, before you get to Wedgwood, but uh, for, up from Wedgwood. Okay. And it's it, it'll be on the right as you're going south. It's okay. a little harder to see now um, than it than it had than it was, but um, you know trees and so forth. But um, but it's still quite visible and quite used, and um, it uh, it got Nashville through the more recent flood too. So as one of the the water source was still uh, right still there, still active. Right. Yeah, I remember that because I remember that one of the water um, one of water, one of the water treatments plants. Treatment plants failed, and then one, one didn't. I remember yeah, that an older one that didn't, but we also, you know, drew on the same supply up there. Yeah, on the hill. Yeah, which so, was a hill that uh, was used in the in the Civil War um, originally before before the water um, reservoir was built. Sir Phil, was there something that you wanted to ask? You'd written some things down. Um, I had that question about uh, Mr. Strickland, and then also I was going to ask about um, the uh, going back to Ben Allen, the uh, Ben Allen Road. I actually grew up in East Nashville, so I'm very familiar with it. Yeah, it. I guess it intersects into uh, cross Hart Lane into what's now uh, like where the the uh, uh, TBI and all the federal agencies are. And there's some old buildings there as well. They look like old, I think they're old Masonic buildings. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those uh, were um, home for aged Masonics, uh, uh, Masons, that is. And um, it's it's too bad they haven't been preserved. But they, I think they belong to the state now. And uh, they should have uh, should have been kept up a little better. But unfortunately, they're... Uh, they're on their last legs. It looks like almost. So that's probably why that uh, that was named Ben Allen Road there because it was a uh, it had all that Masonic property. Yeah, yeah, that had something to do with it. I'm sure. <laughs> um, was there anything in the book that uh, anything that didn't make the book that you would that you that you found interesting or that you that you didn't get a chance to put it in there? Any kind of events well, that you found uh, interesting in before or of, after? In terms of ghosts and haunting and so forth, there there was one thing. Um, uh, I don't know. You know that the Woolworths um, on Fifth Avenue has just been transformed. Uh, the Woolworth building has been transformed into a, a modern uh, restaurant now, just in the last few weeks. Um, and has a lunch counter. Um, that commemorates the 1960 um, civil rights um, marches um, where the students from uh, Fisk and TSU and other, other people um, fought for the right to eat and, and uh, all the eating establishments that uh, were along there. Um, but next door to that was the McClellan's, which was also part of that, uh, um, that push to, um, to get, equal rights for eating establishments. And it also had a lunch counter and it's now, um, a, um, uh, loft apartment, 32 unit loft apartment building. Um, well, uh, maybe condos, 
um, at 231 Fifth Avenue North. And um, during the research for what had been in there in the past, I found out that uh, while it was McClellan's and had a lunch counter, one of the one of the uh, managers of the lunchroom um, had his office upstairs. And he would go up there every morning and plan the day's menu. And uh, finally, he he died. And um, there was a woman, one lady there was a cook and said that even after uh, his death, she would go up to this uh, office that he had on the second floor and see see him sitting at his desk. And one of the manager who managed her said he didn't believe in ghosts, but he he witnessed the same thing. Huh. So those people li- living in the in the condos there probably don't know that there there is a <laughs> lunchroom manager ghost floating around in that building or was. <laughs> they're just going to see him like hovering in midair, planning his menu. That's what uh, they're going to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But to get the flavor of that building, you know, you can go next door to Woolworths now and see a lunch counter. It's a reproduction, but it's uh, it's very effective, very yeah. modern. I mean, uh, uh, effective at recalling the lunch counters that were all along there and various buildings. Yeah, a lot of people kind of take for granted that um, a lot of some of the, some of the the impetus for the civil rights movement really started here in Nashville with Fisk University, right. like way in the like early '60s. Like I didn't right, know that till yeah yeah like I had no idea I mean I would have figured like Atlanta you know where where King was from but you mm-hmm. know it's very much um, a part of Nashville history there's that uh, there is a, that National Register of Historic Places there's a marker there right there on the street and you know we walk around this by this stuff every day and we just don't know you know especially how much Nashville has grown now um, exactly. You know, uh, I wanted to ask you about one one more thing too, um, and, and this wasn't in the book, but I'm sure that you you know about it. Um, the uh, and I didn't, of course, I didn't know about this until Serfiel told me. It was about the uh, the train wreck in 1918. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's near where I'm speaking from. It's over here on uh, yeah, uh, right off Whitebridge Road, and. Uh, that was pretty amazing. I did, I did write about it and there's a plaque there for it and there's a book about it and it's about to have the, the, uh, the hundred hundredth anniversary of it. Uh-huh. It was in July and these two trains, um, collided like head on, uh, at that spot at Dutchman's curve or, uh, it was known as, and, um, a lot of people died. It's like the, the biggest, uh, uh, railroad disaster ever in terms of casualties, I think. Um, but a lot of them were, were black workers at the at DuPont at the, at the powder factory mm-hmm. for one, because, um, they were on the wooden cars and those sort of like splintered and collapsed. Oh, wow. And the, it was so horrible that, um, for them and for everybody that they, um, were, crushed into the into the wreckage so badly they had to bring butchers from town to cut the bodies out. Oh, jeez. And at the same time, you know, there was a, 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 a Catholic school there, um, um, orphanage, a Catholic orphanage, and the orphans heard this, and they ran down the hill to see what was going on in the 
the nuns had to come and, and, you know, round them up so they didn't witness this horror um, that had gone on right next to where they were. Oh, well, I'm, I'm reading here that uh, at least 101 people died and it injured an additional 171. Right. Yeah, it was pretty awful. And um, it's, it's um, the, the path of it has been rerouted a little bit now so that the, there is a memorial site there for where it happened. Um, it's not exactly uh, in the same spot, but close to it. And if you go across the old white bridge, which is a pedestrian bridge now, you can sort of look down to the uh, to your right and see it uh, to the to the east. Okay, and so this was around like St. Thomas Hospital, where that yeah, is right now. Right behind it. Right behind, right behind it. it. Exactly. Wow. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. And there's a greenway, the, the Richland Creek Greenway, that goes right past there and starts on the bridge. Uh, the old white bridge. That's okay. a pedestrian bridge. Yeah, we're gonna have to. Yeah, I'm, we're gonna have to get down there to see that. Because I mean, that's yeah, you can the, even, that's utterly you fascinating. Can even, even rent a bicycle on the bridge there, yeah. and you know, <laughs> bike all around the greenway. Check it all out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, George. I, I really appreciate you coming on. I mean, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Um, what's well, I'm glad it worked out. What's next for you? Um, is there another book uh, in the in the in the making? And also, uh, where can people get get to Hidden History of Nashville? Well, I don't know about another book yet, but uh, but they can certainly get it, you know, through Amazon, and uh, I think some of the uh, Cracker Barrels are handling copies of it now. Okay, too. cool. And uh, you can even get a Kindle version. So yeah, it's out there and uh, still uh, people are still interested. So history never dies. That's true. It's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm well, all of us are really into history. So, so Rob, was there anything that you wanted to ask or? <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> no, but I, I did want to say like, there's, you know, there's a lot of really, amazing architecture still left around the Nashville area. And there's a lot of great stories behind a lot of it. And there's been kind of this push and pull over whether to protect it or whether to develop lately. And I, I, I hope that books like yours and your book in particular can kind of help, you know, protect and preserve some of that old architecture. Cause it, it is really amazing. A lot of it. And it's, um, it really needs to be kind of taken care of. Yeah. Agreed. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And if people know the stories behind some of these buildings, they're more likely to uh, want to save them too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, like you know, there's the there's even uh, over near Church Street. There's a part of the old prison that's still standing there. It's the the uh, warden's house, for instance. <laughs> okay, where, where is that at? And that's a prison from the 1830s. Uh, and it's it's just right off Church Street, not not too just uh, half a block off. Um, so, another story there. Sounds like we need to get with you next time you come here and uh, just walk around the city with you, and you can point all this stuff out to us. <laughs> Good idea. Well, I'd be glad. Yeah. To. Do you yeah. ever give tours like that? Uh, no, I haven't. But but you know, might. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely be in touch about that. 
Well, thank you okay. so much, George. Um, stay on the line for sure. us. Uh, we're going to close this section out, and we'll be back on Conspiracy Normal. Well, that was really good. Yeah, I, I, I really. I wonder what Luke think thinks about that. Let's ask him. <laughs> yeah, Luke. Oh, yeah, that's right. He isn't here. But you know, I got a heavy metal T-shirt on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, you got a bathroom T-shirt on. So yeah, that was uh, that was a guest of, from your suggestion. Yeah, thanks for that one. Yeah, you guys are welcome. Uh, I uh, I've been I encountered the book a few times at a uh, local bookstores and stuff, and I ended up finally picking it up, and it, it's pretty cool. Um, had some stuff in it that I was had encountered or was learning about before I even read the book. Then the book was able to like go in more detail and explain a lot of things for me, like especially that the funeral home and that weird stained glass and uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I googled that actually. I found there was um. Oh, what was it? Hold on. An eye of something. <laughs> yeah, you actually found out what that what that was? Oh, uh, I because I, I have it was like eye of protection or eye of something or other, but it it wasn't the same. It wasn't tentacles. It was like uh like sun rays. Yeah, that's it's okay. weird. It's not it doesn't look like your traditional eye of Horus type of Masonic. Right, yeah, I saw I saw like Adam's that. picture of it. That's that's close as I could find as, as yeah. far as a Masonic symbol. But yeah, like, I I've wondered if it's if it has something to do with um evil eye protection maybe so i think you may not be too far off right that's the only thing that i can think of the only thing yeah (laughs) right considering that it's in a house where seances used to used to happen right it really it really makes you think that 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 could possibly be what it is um i would be curious to know since the that is the only original window in the house what other designs might have been on the other windows, yeah, if any. So that would be something interesting. I wanted you could be like if you look in the archives and like everybody had like pictures of the house before they renovated it. Maybe we and could then, check with the funeral home see if they have any. Stuff. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a good possibility. But then why just that window? Why did they just leave that one? Right. Was that something that was demanded by the the people that sold it or? Uh, to the 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 funeral home like you know how does that how does that exactly work um it's it's a it's a it's a mystery to me i mean it's really it's really i've never seen anything like it you got to post it up so people can see it too yeah i'm I'm gonna post that up i'll and i'll put it on the i'll actually i'll put it on the youtube video i'll put it on the youtube video too so people can see what that looks like maybe we can have some insights from the the listeners and community yeah I, i asked timothy renner um because I don't, I guess I, you know, Tim is into all the kind of weird stuff like that. And yeah, I was wondering if he, I heard that, yeah, might have a, an insight into what it could possibly be. He said he was going to ask his wife about it because uh, she's kind of an expert in kind of like the Victorian era cool. design, cool. even though that's a little bit after the Victorian era. But like I was saying before, 
um, about H.P. Lovecraft and uh, whether or not he might have been exposed to spiritualism and whether he might have been exposed to something that was like a similar design. And like, you know, I'm just kind of reaching here. But you know, sure. it looks spe- very speculation. I, I love that H.P. Lovecraft has become the new um, Crowley. He's been popping up on a lot of shows lately. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. We'll have to do like a shirt with him and Crowley, you know, together, together at last. Um, <laughs> Sophia, was there any other thing that was in the book? Because there is a lot in this book that we didn't get to cover with him. Was there anything else that you found particularly interesting? Um, I, f- I think we really covered you. most of it. Um, in the book, it talks about some uh, shrunken heads that were in a uh-huh. uh, museum collection in Nashville that I actually that are now, I believe, at the the uh, Mystery Science Museum that I was actually able to uh, to view when I was younger. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I saw some, one at like I think Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum, maybe in yeah, um, Pigeon yeah. Forge. But that's bizarre. I, I ended up going online and like looking that stuff up because that's a bizarre ass hobby, like how they do it. <laughs> oh, actually shrink. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> weird. Would that really be considered a hobby? Like, uh, I, well, yeah, I'm gonna I mean, shrink ahead today. <laughs> you know, some they, there was people. Yeah, there's been people in in various cultures that like that's what they did, and you, you know, you got to put time into it to get good at it. So I call it a hobby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd say I'd say that's true. Um, the Jesse James stuff we didn't get to ask him. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit because this 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 is interesting. Let me let me go in here and find it real quick. Um, Which I guess the main place is uh, there's a hideout that was a uh, like a store that they the gang hid out at that you can still go see the building still there on White's Creek Pike and they've got a uh, they've got a historical placard for it too. Yeah. Uh, that's something that n- nobody really knows a, a lot about. I had heard rumors to that effect that Jesse James lived in Nashville. But that's there's like f- four, res- there's that, and then there's like, I think three other houses that him or the gang lived at different times. Yeah. One is still standing on Fatherland Street, I believe. Well, here here it is about uh, Jesse, uh, Jesse and Frank James in Nashville hideouts. Um, several sites in and around Nashville are linked to the Notorious Brothers, whose bank and train robberies have grown into outlaw legends, long capturing the imaginations of Americans. Even an official Davidson County historical marker at 4411 White's Creek Pike commemorates the James boys' exploits. And this is what it says. In this building, then a combination saloon and grocery, W.W. Earthman, magistrate and ex-constable of Davidson County, arrested Bill Ryan, alias Tom Hill, Ruthless and indiscreet member of the gang, members of which were in hiding in the neighborhood. March 26, 1881. Frank and Jesse James meeting nearby, decamped early the next morning. It was Orion's arrest that apparently undermined a year or more of solitude by Frank and Jesse James in the White's Creek area. And White's Creek is kind of like, um, like a suburb area of Nashville. Um it's like north. It's like kind of like north of uh, downtown Nashville. The brothers under the aliases Ben Woodson and Tom Howard, plus their wives and small children, shared a hilltop house on a knoll along West Hamilton Road, east of Clarksville Pike, with bachelor farmer Felix Smith. They helped Smith with farm chores and even brought along fine racehorses, frequently keeping one saddled for a quick getaway and a prized cow. 
Jesse James was said to travel often. His daughter Mary was born at the house in 1879. His son was three when they moved in. So he was here for a good while. Yeah. Um, it was with real regret that Smith and the neighbors saw the James families bundle their trunks and beds and stoves into their wagons and drive down the steep hillsides and out to the plains of Missouri. Historical writer Louise Davis wrote in a 1946 Nashville, Tennessean newspaper article. Bill Ryan got a 25-year prison sentence. After his return in Missouri, Jesse James was shot and killed by one of his own men who, who wanted the reward money. And uh, here's a list of the street of the uh, the houses, six oh seven six oh six Boscobel Street, described as the first Nashville home of Jesse James and his wife Z, and the eighteen seventy five birthplace of their son. It is no longer standing. Seven Eleven Fatherland Street, said to be the last Tennessee home of Jesse, it still stands. That's not too far from where you live. That's East Nashville. Right? Yeah, right? yeah, that's yeah. East Nashville. And 814 Fatherland Street, described as the last home of Frank, it is no longer standing. And 903 Woodland Street, mentioned as a as a home of Jesse in early 1881, it is no longer standing. That's all right around there in uh, Lachlan Springs area, which that's something I forgot to ask him about too. Lachlan Springs. Yeah, what's 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 up with Lachlan Springs? It was a a spring that that some uh, guy uh, started. Uh, harvesting the water and selling it. And it was, uh, I don't know too much about it. Um, but I know there may be some kind of fairy lore around it. Okay. So Paging was, Joshua Cutchin. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I was wanting to ask him about that, but uh, I, I forgot. We'll have to take Josh there. Um, you know, and then he talks a lot about um, there's people that had lived in Nashville. Um, the, uh, Director of Marty, Delbert Mann, uh, uh, Tennessee Williams had lived in Nashville. Uh, supposedly, um, O. Henry lived in Nashville for, for a while. He is also associated with Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, Micah Hanks pointed that out to me. Oh. So, And then also, you know, very interesting part of the book about where, where slaves were sold in Nashville. Which is something you we just don't think about that anymore. Um, Did we mention Jimi Hendrix when it came to the civil rights stuff? No, because he spent a lot of time here and performed here. And did he? Yep. Yep. So, so there's there's a lot more than than what's what's in this book. Um, was there any other thing that you interested that you were wanted to talk about? No, uh, I wanted to uh, maybe see if he had any. Uh, it's it's not in Nashville. Uh, per se, but, uh, surrounding areas, I wanted to maybe see if he had any, uh, perspectives on the bell, Witch phenomenon. Um, yeah. But, uh, other than that, he was, it was, it was a great show. It was a great, uh, interview. We talked about that with, um, I can't remember his name now, but, um, it was a long time that ago. That was like, that was about almost four years ago that we did that. That was one of Rob's first shows that he was sitting in on. I don't think I was day. here for that one. Yeah. Oh, I, it might've just been me and Luke. Yeah. But, um, you you were uh, I think you maybe supplied the microphones at that point. Yeah, <laughs> for that show. So, and that guy lives here. Uh, I think he li- I think he lives here in the in the Hermitage area where we are. But yeah, the the Bell Witch stuff. Uh, man, I um I remember hearing about that um when I was a kid in Chattanooga. Oh yeah, you know, that's yeah, a, that's pretty world famous. You know, great Tennessee you know, quote unquote legend. So, but yeah, 
plenty of things that we just do not think about in anybody's hometown. You walk by something every day and you don't realize the, the history, the drama of it. So I definitely want to take a little walking tour with him. Yeah. We can drive around and see some of the stuff. And, and Serfiel, you know, he knows a lot about uh, kind of the history of Nashville. And, um, you know, we, we're, we're trying to like this synchro mystical tour. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. tell people a little bit about that. Um, just because we're the, you know, we're the Athens of the South, um, there's a lot of, uh, mythological symbolism that really runs deep all throughout Nashville and the namings of places in the, um, in the architecture. Um, so growing up, you know, I got kind of hip to it and kind of made my own little, uh, made my own little connections in a down Erdian kind of way. Um, so I took Adam on a little, little tour around town and some of, some of my haunts and some of the, the weird kind of synchro mystic places that I've kind of, uh, uh, drawn connections to and stuff like that. Well, a couple of interesting things that you told me on, you know, that, that whole area that we talked about where the Ben Allen road is. Um, and we, we touched on this, like all the Masonic symbolism that's over there, I mean, you got Cowan Street. That's that's over. That's further down okay. by downtown. But uh, but yeah, that whole that whole hill there that is now the federal complex. Um, I guess it, you know that all used to be Masonic property, and uh, there appears to be um, underground structures uh, that are there now. You see like doors on the sides of the hills and things like that. Yeah. So it's kind of strange, but I wouldn't recommend uh, going poking around there because it is federal property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> if you're a listener to this show and you live in Nashville, you guys. First of all, we'd like to meet you, and then second of all, don't go down there. Yeah. You guys ever been to the what, the, the Grand Lodge or whatever? Uh, the one downtown. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because um, I've never actually been in it, but uh, I went with Luke. To we were walking around Broadway, and it's one of those, you know, multi-level restaurant slash bars yeah. in Broadway. So you know them very well, Rob. And so you, mm, I do. You 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 do plenty. Of, you were actually down there that same night that we were. Was that we Honky Tonk Central? <laughs> yeah, Honky Tonk Central. Yeah. And I I had driven by um I had driven by the a Masonic Lodge a lot because, um, you know, my stepson, he went to Hume Fogg, which is the, this old high school. It's a magnet school now, like the most prestigious public magnet school in Nashville. Yes. And, uh, there's, there's actually caves that go from Hume Fogg to the Masonic Lodge. There's actually cave system down there. Really? Supposedly. There's there's supposed to be a lot of cave systems going back to uh bootlegging era, especially. Yeah. And then there's fallout shelters. Right. But just yeah, like I've seen that sign for that. Yeah. yeah, just like with that Heart Lane complex, I mean, there's so much limestone in the area that there's probably a whole lot of you know whole lot of caverns and you know, different uses for them. It's it's interesting to know what's down there. Um, so I used to joke with him that just like, yeah, they, they're going to take you, they're going to blindfold you and take you down to the Masonic Lodge through the <laughs> cave system. And, um, but 
uh, one of the uh, well, well, I was going to say was that it, I went up to the top floor of this restaurant and I looked up at the Masonic Lodge and there's a there's like another part to it. There's like a whole like other temple. It looks like the it it looks like a temple. It looks very reminiscent of the the one that's in Washington D.C. that I've been to. That um, looks like the temple. It looks like the Temple of Holocarnarsis is what it's based off of, and it looks exactly just like it. So this is this whole other section on top of the Masonic Lodge that you can't see unless you're standing on top of one of those buildings. And then it's right, really neat. Right down the street, on top of Union Station, is a statue of Hermes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, too, um, there's uh, Cheekwood Mansion, is an interesting place. Yeah. Um, if you go there, there's a lot of statues of owls around that area, paging Mike Holland, and which was interesting. And you walk in there into that mansion, which now it is like a modern art museum, but it was owned by the Cheek family. Um, they were like coffee money or something, right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it talks about in this book about Maxwell House coffee, although that was another, another family, I think. But um, you'll see these pictures of them at these parties where they're all dressed up in this like classical attire, like togas and this kind of thing. And of course, you know, um, we, we can't fail to mention for you know our listeners that don't live in Nashville, which are most, the Parthenon, right? Mm-hmm. You know, with the large statue of Athena. Athena yeah. You know, I took uh, Mark Anthony Wyatt and his uh, and his friend to uh, the Parthenon, and they saw that and they were just like floored. It's just like really impressed by it. Everybody I've taken the, taken to it has seen has seen that statue. I've been really impressed because it's like a full color with a snake and and everything. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's crazy. And that's definitely something. If you come to Nashville, you got to pay like four dollars to get into the Parthenon. But it's, it's definitely worth it. It's definitely worth going. And that that house that we were talking about with the. Uh, with that weird symbol on it is right there on the corner next, of the park. Is right yeah. there in the corner by the Parthenon too. And that'll, so, that'll, so that'll is Hog Heaven. Hog Heaven. <laughs> yeah. That, that all goes. Well, <laughs> there we go. They have great barbecue. You know, and that all kind of goes back to uh, Nashville was originally branding itself as the Athens of the South because of all the colleges. Yep. Um, before and printing too. Yeah, before country music really took over and which I guess the high society at the time hated the fact that we became known for this hillbilly music. Yeah. Right. So like the, you know, the, the grand old Opry is like a, is a joke and a play on the word opera, you know, it's like, it's kind of poking fun at the, the high society people in town who hated that all this hillbilly music was taken over. What was supposed to be their sophisticated, uh, Greco-Roman, you know. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. And 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 it's all part of Centennial Park, which that's a reference to the Centennial Exposition of 1896. Which all that means is Tennessee became a state in 1796. So they did Centennial Park, and the Parthenon was originally this was just one of these buildings that they set up that were made out of wood. And they were, it was just this whole, it was, it was a, 
like Greek town, basically. Yeah, I think they had like a pyramid and yes. things and stuff. And- yeah, yeah, they did all kinds of because that was a huge thing in the late eighteen hundreds. Was you know like you hear about the Chicago World's Fair yeah. eighteen ninety three. You know that was a huge thing to do these fairs all around the country, and Nashville was trying to compete with that. And also Bicentennial is an interesting place too, and that was built in the nineties. And that's um, there's all these like weird monoliths over there, and like that's where William Henry thinks that Nicholas Rorick um, buried his box there, and uh, yeah, so lots of interesting things about Nashville. Come check it out. <laughs> Hit us up if you come here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we'll be at a uh, we'll be at a, a very uh, sacred meeting spot called Twin Cakes Two. <laughs> <laughs> there may be a killer '80s band playing. There may be, yeah. Well, by the way, you know that's coming up. That's going to come up again, April nineteenth, right? Is it? Yeah, yeah, April nineteenth. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> You're in the band. <laughs> yeah, April nineteenth. You gotta come on down to Twin Cakes Two and. Hang out, drink a beer with me and Adam, listen to some 80s music. It'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. Sergio usually comes out, too. So. It got pretty rowdy last time. Yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, I hope those bikers bad. come back. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Had some bikers, man. All right, well, turning away from Nashville and its weird history, um, I want to talk a little bit about a couple of things that I have found in the news and like strange stuff. Um, first I will talk about this. I don't know if any of you guys have heard of this, but, uh, this is from that, uh, really reliable news source out in, uh, Britain called the sun. But I saw this, uh, <laughs> this, this went viral like last week. Um, and I don't really know what to make of this. Twitter users claim a chilling voicemail message sent to their phones could have links to missing Malaysia Airlines flight MH370 alien life in an impending doomsday date. The message features a robotic voice droning out an automated message in NATO's phonetic alphabet. Deciphered, it reads, S, danger, SOS, it is dire for you to evacuate, be caution, they are not human. Zero four two nine three three nine six four two three zero SOS danger SOS. But some users claim the numbers are a set of coordinates which when plugged into Google Maps led to one location in Africa and another near Malaysia. The latter, many users noted, was very close to where Malaysian Airlines flight MH370 vanished from radar, leading to speculation the voicemail was a recording of the doomed pilot's encounter with an alien craft. The post appears to have started with Thai, T-Y, an ordinary, it actually says an ordinatory Twitter user with no apparent prior interest in conspiracy theories, I'm sure. Again, proofreading, Rob. <laughs> proofreading. It's important. Ordinatri. Hey, just Ordinatri. He's just Ordinatri. He's just Ordinatri guy. On March 13th, Ty posted a recording of a voicemail message he received on his phone and asked for help translating it. So this guy, this random Twitter user, 
that uh, has this picture of himself with his tongue sticking out as his picture. You know, classy. Yeah. So cool, dude. So I believe this guy. I mean, he's really freaking out. In a post retweeted more than six thousand times, user Geo Delora said, "Are you saying that Malaysia Flight Three Seventy encountered something non-human?" Question mark. Question mark. Question mark. User Ty Leish responded, "It's a police code. It says danger SOS. It is dire for you to evacuate. Be cautious. They are not human. SOS danger SOS." Ty also posted unsettling direct messages he had been receiving on his Twitter account. One in Indonesian, another in Malay, a couple in Morse code, and one which appeared to be five groupings of numbers. 20.8.5.25.1.18.5.20.1.11.9.14.7.15.22.5.18.41818. Did you get all those, Rob? Are yep. you typing that into yeah. your, um, your, your GPS right now? The Indonesian message, which run through Google Translate, turned out to be this warning. In the post you just shared about the recording in your phone. Several users translated the number sequences and Morse code to read, they are taking over. They also arrived at cryptic lines about the late Stephen Hawking's. With one user tweeting, the message received is well related to Stephen Hawking's death. You are not ready to face them. The numerical sequences allude to April 18th as some kind of day of reckoning. Rapture are the day when they... We're taking over. Disturbingly, a few nights before he started receiving the messages, Ty posted about an odd event in which an unknown man drove by his home and took photographs at 3 a.m. using a flash. He now believes that the man with the camera is linked to the voicemail and the direct messages he received. Since his post went viral, turning Twitter into a hotbed of paranormal activity and analysis, other equally unsettled users have come forward to say they too have received the message. User Basepeer received the same automated voicemail as Ty, except his recording featured a lengthy message about aliens before the voice launches into the NATO phonetic alphabet. However, there are indications that the messages are part of an alternate reality, a complex puzzle similar to Cicada 3301, which ran for years before it was repeatedly cracked in 2014. A Twitter account called 914, run by someone with the handle at Lunar Rabbits, has a pinned tweet dated March 17th, which suggests that might be the case. It reads, the event is nowhere related to as catastrophic events. 18th April is definitely safe. All other accounts are impersonating. Reason to hold this event to help people solve an upcoming global Cicada event. Reason to hold this event is to aware people with knowledge. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you say c- Cicada? Yes. Apparently we're about to be attacked by lots of Cicadas. Like the bugs. Yeah, I, okay. I think that that's some kind of weird internet code or something. Well, okay, so this all started from one guy, and it was a, after he got Twitter famous for it, then other people started popping up, right? Yes. Like a long time after he got... Well, almost right away. Um, he, he said that he had this... Um, 
I'm looking for someone, someone tagged me in this. I'm looking for it here on my Facebook, but he said that he got this um, weird voicemail message on his phone of which he said he was freaking out and he was, he was sitting there saying that he was going to cancel his phone service and all this. Um, Someone and then other people apparently had hopped on the bandwagon. Uh, he apparently he says here, I don't know why I was sent military code. The F do I look like Liam Neeson? Slut Paradise replied, That's <laughs> effing scary. If this guy goes missing, we know why. And Shrek Nipple. Replied, y'all, what the heck? Dang. Dang, Ty. <laughs> so Ty comes back and says, it literally translates the danger SOS. It is dire for you to evacuate. Be cautious. They are not human SOS, danger SOS, and then gives coordinates. I'm throwing my phone away. And then someone asks, uh, this is uh, Balenci Hu Aga with a little hammer and sickle by it, incidentally, says, wait, what are the coordinates? And he says, someplace on the coast of Indonesia, I don't even know. And then you see Slut Paradise again. And uh, he posts, excuse me, what is going on? He puts two couple of pictures on here of it supposedly in Indonesian which translates to in the post you just shared about the recording on your phone. Um, Slut Paradise then returns and says, also, I should probably include that this happened a few days ago before I got the voicemail. I really am about to go into hiding. And Ty says, okay, I'm sitting in my car right in front of my house in my car, and this guy just started taking pictures of my house with Flash. Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Then he walked away. Literally, what the F? It's 3 a.m. I'm going to die tonight. Slut Paradise replies and says, that's effing scary. If this guy goes missing, we know why. I think I read that before. But it just gets real repetitive, so that's kind of how it goes. So, Yeah. And then uh, Yuzumaki, replying to Slut Paradise, says, also at ER Mahoney 6, pointed out that the coordinates given are very close to where the Malaysian airplane went down. What if you're hearing the black box recording? And a black box records the last interactions with a plane. That's why it's an SOS and save our, save our ship. It was trying to warn us. And then uh, Slut Paradise um, decides to leave the conversation and says, guys, look at this conspiracy. I'm out with four T's. Any ideas? Are we well, going to be invaded on April 18th? Um, uh, from what uh, Stephen Hawking had apparently said. I am not too frightened. Um, I don't really think that that airplane was abducted by aliens either. Um, at least not based on this evidence. Right. Um, 
Right. I don't. This was blowing up like uh, I think Tuesday, I think Thursday and Friday of last week. I just don't understand where this one gained any kind of traction whatsoever. Yeah. There's there's absolutely zero proof or empirical evidence of anything. The well, he did play the voicemail. But of course, you know, that could have well, just been recorded on somebody make? somebody's yeah. software. Um, not to be too skeptical about this. I was thinking, see, when I first heard of the story. I don't want to be too skeptical. When I when I first heard of the story, I, I thought I heard someone say like um a bunch of Twitter users had received this message. And if like, you know, if there had been like hundreds of people came forward like, oh, some bizarre message was sent to, uh, out to us, even if it had been like some sort of weird hacker thing that was sent out to people to scare people, like that at least would have been um, strange and worth looking into. But I don't know. One guy claiming some like, I don't know. I'm gonna have to say are that you, I don't buy this are one. Are you completely <laughs> are you completely baffled yet? No. Ty did say on his um initial post that I saw, he did say that uh this is really weird, guys. I don't know what's going on. There's something to the effect. I'm paraphrasing. I, I think some people have been calling. I got this weird voicemail. I don't know what's up. But since you're here, uh, go to my Insta at blah, 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 blah. So this could just be an elaborate ploy to get Instagram followers. Surely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to create a big hoax like that, would you... Um, Say if it's coming from an outside source, like would it? W- would you want to just find some random person like that? Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the things that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, let's see what Chicada three three zero one is. Very possibly that. Uh, well, this is a, this is a very this is a very odd mix of very different conspiracy theories. You've got the Malaysian flight that disappeared four years ago, around right. this time. Yeah, the anniversary, the way, yeah. In March. Um, you have space aliens. You have possibly some shadowy Indonesian government organization telling them not to listen to it. And then they add in Stephen Hawking. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't understand. Who just died. I didn't understand the tie-in there. Okay, okay. Well, Stephen Hawking had said that if aliens and if aliens come to Earth, then it's not going to be a good thing. That we're going to be wiped out because they're going to be so superior. Yeah, that it's not even right. it's not even going to matter. Yeah, he's not he's not the only person to present that argument. That you know, if they show up, we have no way to battle. If they can come from light years away to get here that we have no way to fend for ourselves. And if they came here, they wouldn't come to shake our hands. They'd be here for resources. Right. They, they, would, would they would just come in and, and just wipe it. us out, take, you know, strip, strip the earth and move on. Yeah. That was basically what uh, Stephen Hawking said. And of course, Stephen Hawking had just died and it's the four year anniversary of the MH370 going down 
and everybody wants to get worked up about aliens, and Ty needs to um, get more Insta followers. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm not trying to, you know, say Ty is a dishonest person or anything like that. I mean, I'm just saying, you know. Uh, I did look up what Cicada 3301 is. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Cicada 3301 is a nickname given to an organization that on six occasions has posted a set of puzzles and alternate reality games to possibly recruit code breakers, linguists from the public. There you go. The first internet puzzle hmm. started on January 4th, 2012 and ran for approximately one month. A second round began one year later on January 4th, 2013. And the third round following the confirmation of a fresh, fresh clue posted on Twitter on January 4th, 2014. The stated attempt was to recruit intelligent individuals especially those that need Insta followers, by presenting a series of puzzles which were to be solved. No new puzzles. People like Slut Paradise. They're obviously recruiting her <laughs> or him. I, I don't even know. You never know these days. No new puzzles were published on January 4th, 2015. However, a new clue was posted on Twitter on January 5th, 2016. In April 2017, another PGP signed message was found. Beware false paths. Always verify PGP signature from 7A35090F. That message explicitly denies the validity of any unsigned puzzle as recently as April 2017. The puzzles focus heavily on data security, cryptography, and steganography, whatever that is. It has been called the most elaborate and mysterious puzzle of the internet age and is listed as one of the top five eeriest unsolved mysteries of the internet by the Washington Post and much speculation exists as to its function. Many have speculated that the puzzles are a recruitment tool for the NSA, CIA, MI6, a Masonic conspiracy, Uh or a cyber mercenary group. Others have claimed Chicada 3301 is an alternate reality game, but the fact that no company or individual has taken credit or tried to monetize it, combined with the fact that no known individuals that solved the puzzles have ever come forward, has led most to feel that it is not. Yeah, I buy that recruitment. Which, you know, this could be what that is. Yeah, absolutely. Very possible. Um, or just a game, kind of like this. Things like this are going to be like what say the Discordians used to do with, with, you know, trying to get a newspaper article or something like that. This is the new version of Operation Mind F-U-C-K. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, good point. They would do stuff, they would do stuff like that. And and now it's on a wider scale because obviously we have the internet. Uh, steganography, by the way, is a practice of concealing a file, message, image, or video within another file, message, image, or video. So, yeah, I think we solved this one. Yeah, you get a job. <laughs> I, I guess. I guess it didn't really take too long. It's just weird how the to me it's like all the different conspiracy theories that are in it. It's just craziness. Yeah, it's almost like hashtag conspiracy yeah. theories. Though it's like I saw several people on Facebook posting about it and saying, "Have you seen this? What's up with this? What's up with all this?" Uh, this this voicemail message. This is crazy. What is this? I'm really skeptical about this things takes- that seem to just have all all their basis in the internet and don't go back to any kind of person or I mean that's what I'm saying. Even the account I was just reading about it. The 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 account from Ty, the original poster, like who's he? You know? <laughs> well, it changed like 
after this came out, all of a sudden the profile belonged to a 15 year old girl, and then it like switched back to Ty, whoever this other guy is, and it was like, what the hell is going on there? Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, real weirdness. I suppose you could really go down a rabbit hole with this kind of stuff. This kind of like cryptography or um, what did uh, or uh, what did uh, Downard call it? Called it uh, uh, what was it? Cryptocracy or whatever? Yeah, I believe. Well, he, the cryptocracy I think was his reference to the the elite. Okay. But he had he had some he had some kind of uh he had some kind of this he had some kind of uh word for it. I'm sure it will it will finally come to me at some point. Some uh, kind of like cipher type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to do a little research on that. It'll come to me later after the show's over. Um okay. We're going to see more stuff like this, though. I think it's just going to. Yeah. I think it's bad for the uh, speculative and conspiracy paranormal culture, actually, though. Oh, yeah, just absolutely. getting flooded with all this these internet hoaxes and stuff. It's, I don't know. It's well, lot, it's already to the point where, yeah, you can't, you can't believe anything that you see in a picture. You can't believe anything you see in a video. You can't believe any kind of statements that mm-hmm. you see. Like, it's hard to find actual um like fact based it's it's hard to research even online because it's so flooded and so muddied and it's like I think eventually people will just stop trying <laughs> to figure out what's actually going on. You can't trust the source of information. Yeah. And and also too, um mystical toponymy. That's what I was thinking of. There you go. Um uh, you can't trust the the source of information. But also too People just want to believe that all this stuff is is going on, and there's real. And I'm going to get to that in a second. There's real tomfoolery going on. Oh yeah. I mean, it's it it's not just this kind of. It, it doesn't have to involve aliens and downed airplanes and weird weird codes. You know, it, it almost seems to me that it's just you know people. Looking for attention. There was another. There's another aspect of this too, where they said that he was getting this. He was getting this transmission because of the way it was a transmission from the black box, but it had something to do with like the 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 solar flares or something like that. It just like I, my my brain just couldn't even like. Like what? <laughs> I didn't even know we were getting solar flares right Science, now, bro. Science. So, bro. Yeah, so, so here's a, here's another aspect to it. We're all gonna die because of the solar flares or the aliens or it's just like what? I'm getting a headache. Like a Dan Brown novel. Yeah, yeah, and it is, and it almost becomes it almost becomes a game. Really, is what it is. Well, that's the alternate reality yeah. game. I mean, right, right, exactly. And I guess we're all you know we're all kind of. But there's plenty of people that take it seriously. Yeah. It's kind of this, uh, the you know, they call it the, the woke stuff. You know, it's like this pop culture yeah. conspiracy stuff. And it's like, you know, part of people's identity to be woke. And, well, I'm woke AF. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm woke AF. <laughs> we need to get a shirt that says that. Conspiranormal woke AF. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, so real tomfoolery. Uh, this is something that's come out in the last few few days. Uh, Doctor Future actually um, told me about this. He sent an email to me about it, and I want to talk about this because this is this is pretty interesting. Revealed. Trump's election consultants film saying they use bribes and sex workers to entrap politicians. An undercover investigation by Channel 4 News reveals how Cambridge Analytica secretly campaigns in elections across the world. Bosses were filmed talking about using bribes, ex-spies, fake IDs, and sex workers. Senior executives at Cambridge Analytica the data company that credits itself with Donald Trump's presidential victory, have been secretly filmed saying they could entrap politicians in compromising situations with bribes and Ukrainian sex workers. And then they got entrapped themselves. In an undercover investigation by Channel 4 News, the company's chief executive, Alexander Nix, said the British firm secretly campaigns in elections across the world. This includes operating through a web of shadowy front companies or by using subcontractors. In one exchange, when asked about digging up material on political opponents, Mr. Nick said they could send some girls around to the candidate's house, adding that Ukrainian girls are very beautiful. I find that works very well. In another, he said, we'll offer a large amount of money to the candidate. To finance his campaign in exchange for land, for instance, we'll have the whole thing recorded, we'll blank out the face of our guy, and we post it on the internet. Offering bribes to public officials is an offense under both the UK Bribery Act and the US Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Cambridge Analytica operates in the UK and is registered in the United States. The admissions were filmed at a series of meetings at London hotels over four months between November 2017 and January 2018. An undercover reporter for Channel 4 News posed as a fixer for a wealthy client hoping to get candidates elected in Sri Lanka. Mr. Nix told our reporter, We're used to operating through different vehicles in the shadows, and I look forward to building a very long-term and secretive relationship with you. Along with Mr. Nix, the meetings also included Mark Turnbull, the managing director of CA Political Global, and the company's chief data officer, Dr. Alex Taylor. Mr. Turnbull described how, having obtained damaging material on opponents, Cambridge Analytica can discreetly push it onto social media and the internet. Need a little bell, Rob, and ding, ding. He said, we just put information into the bloodstream of the internet and then, and then watch it grow. Give it a little push every now and again, a little nudge, like a remote control. It has to happen without anyone thinking, quote unquote, that's propaganda. Because the moment you think that's propaganda, the next question is, who's put that out? Mr. Nix also said many of our clients didn't, don't want to be seen to be working with a foreign company, so often we set up. If we are working, then we can set up fake IDs and websites. We can be students doing research projects attached to a university. We can be tourists. There's so many options we can look at. I have lots of experiences in this. In the meetings, the executives boasted that Cambridge Analytica and its parent company, Strategic Communications Laboratories, SCL, 
had worked in more than 200 elections across the world, including Nigeria, Kenya, the Czech Republic, India, and Argentina. The company is at the center of a scandal over its role in the harvesting of more than 50 million Facebook profiles. Chief Executive Mr. Nix has also been accused of misleading a parliamentary select committee, which is now asking him to provide further information. He has denied the allegations. Tonight, a Cambridge Analytica spokesman said, We entirely refute any allegation that Cambridge Analytica or any of its affiliates use entrapment. Bribes are so-called honey traps for any purpose whatsoever. We routinely undertake conversations with prospective clients to try to tease out any unethical or illegal intentions. They said Cambridge Analytica does not use untrue material for any purpose. And they insisted that opposition research and intelligence gathering, the use of subcontractors, and working discreetly with clients are all common practice and legitimate. This report is part two of a Channel 4 news series, Data, Democracy, and Dirty Tricks, Investigating Cambridge Analytica. Part three on the company's work in the United States will be broadcast. Actually, this was broadcast yesterday, the 20th, March, 2018. So, Sir what was that thing that you, you said you Googled it and the first thing that popped up was their website and like their mission statement. <laughs> yeah, I guess they uh, they need to hurry up and put their PR people to work because it pops up their website. First thing it says, Cambridge Analytica uses data to change audience behavior. Visit our commercial or political divisions to see how we can help you. Just the fact that wow. there's a third party organization internationally um Claiming to help influence elections. Like, that's enough for me to be like, what the hell? <laughs> this is the new world we live in. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Dr. Future put it to, to us last night. We were, talk, we were talking about this. And um, the word deep state has been bandied about a lot. And, you know, we talked about this last year. Well, we had... Uh, Jeff Forster on, we talked about the deep state and the idea of the deep state is, is that, you know, that you have basically it has to deal, that has to deal a lot with intelligence agencies and the, the idea that intelligence agencies are a state or a world that works on its own outside of what is the normal purview of let's say our executive or legislative or judicial branch right what we think of as the government this is a, a shadow world and since trump has been in office the word deep state or the phrase the term has become more and more popular because they say a lot of people that say well trump is being stymied by the deep state the deep state are out to get him. Um, well, this is very much kind of the same. They're a deep state all to their own. They're controlling what people think and what people feel. And it's scary that they can they can actually, you know, this, to go back to this, what they had said um, 
about letting putting things on the social media and letting it kind of like marinate for a while. You know, we just put information into the bloodstream of the internet and then and then watch it grow. Give it a little push every now and again, like a remote control. It has to happen without anyone thinking that's propaganda, because the moment you think that's propaganda, the next question is, who put that out? I think... What an admission. I think what bothers me most about all this is that it implies to me that the entire democratic process needs to be rethought. Because things like social media and marketing and corporations are so tied to it like integrally at this point that the system no longer works you're not going to end up with representatives who actually represent the core beliefs of your people you know you're going to end up with representatives who have tricked their way into making the majority of voters think that they represent that but they could be whoever whoever's puppet you know and it's like it's it's a popularity contest that doesn't represent what what we need to grow or where we want to go in the future or how our country should be driven you know it, it represents something completely different and i don't know i don't know how best to fix that you know i don't know what the best way to do that is but with with the advent of social media and um you know just the uh communications being what it is today that it's Obviously, it's not working anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sergio and I were talking last night. Remember, we were talking about um, how social media is almost like destroying oh, absolutely. the way people think and the way people deal with each other. Yes. The civil society. Yeah. And that's that's why I keep saying it's so sad. Like, what should have brought us all together is doing the opposite. What, uh, just, just off of the Wikipedia, it says that, um, in 2014, they're involved in 44 U.S. political races, and that's just 2014. So I think the company's been growing. I guess the big uh, big legal issues that are coming up now that this is getting all blown out is that uh, the, you know, their offshoot of their parent company, SCL Group, which is British, and that even the Wikipedia says that it was created – uh, that Cambridge Analytica was created to participate in American politics because they had to create a separate entity in order to start doing that. But obviously it's right. part of a bigger international agenda that's not even, doesn't even have its, uh, you know, basis in, in our uh, country. I mean, it's, the implications are. And, and what these guys are too, um, they are mercenaries. They're guns for hire. Yeah. You know, so... So who know. knows who's really pulling the strings? Whoever can pay the most, whoever can... Yep. Yeah, if you got... Uh, if you if you have money, then you go and you're running for office, you hire these guys and say, get me elected. I don't care how you do it. Well, not to mention, think about, okay, so if they... If, if they have one job, um, they still have all that information that they got from doing that one job, which they're most likely using to broker for other purposes. Um, I mean, the, it's, it's, I just can't, you know, the implications just don't stop. Well, here's the, um, 
talking about the uh, the twenty twenty sixteen, and they also had apparently a involvement in the Brexit uh, referendum too, uh, which was also twenty sixteen. But talking about uh, in the twenty in the in the presidential election specifically, this is from the Wikipedia page, which you know probably manipulated by somebody else. <laughs> CA's involvement in the 2016 Republican Party presidential primaries became known in July 2015. As of December 2015, CA claimed to have collected up to 5,000 data points on over 220 million Americans. At that time, Robert Mercer was a major supporter of Ted Cruz. The Mercer family funded CA directly and indirectly through several super PACs as well as through payments via Cruz's campaign. Ted Cruz became an early major client of CA in the 2016 presidential campaign just prior to the Iowa caucuses. The Cruz campaign had spent $3 million for CA's services, with additional money coming from allied super PACs. After Cruz's win at the Iowa caucus, CA was credited with having been able to identify and motivate potential voters. Ultimately, the Cruz campaign spent $5.8 million on work by CA. Ben Carson was the second client of CA. His campaign had paid $220,000 for data management, quote-unquote, and web service, quote-unquote, as reported in October 2015. Marco Rubio's campaign was supported by Optimus Counts Consulting. Meanwhile, the third competitor, Governor John Kasich, was supported by rivaling firm Applecart, whoever they are. After Cruz dropped out of the race for the Republican presidential nomination in May 2016, Robert Mercer and his daughter Rebecca started to support Trump. In August, it became known that CA followed their allegiance and worked for Trump's presidential campaign. Trump's campaign also worked with digital firm Giles Parscale. In September, the Trump campaign spent $5 million to purchase television advertising. The Trump campaign spent less than $1 million in data work. In 2016, the company said that it had not used psychographics in the Trump presidential campaign. The head of of Cambridge Analytica said he asked WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange for help finding Hillary Clinton's 33,000 deleted emails. That's interesting. Yeah. And they've also been investigated. There's also investigations in whether they've got ties to the Russians um, and all that, too. So this is like kind of a, it's like an undermining. Just pay these guys and they'll get you elected. The kingmakers. Yeah, exactly. Undermining of what, uh, what democracy means. Not that it's not undermined in other ways, such as all the representatives that uh, have, all these ties to lobbyists and are, are have all these stock options in different companies. Right. And I mean, and, you can go back through history and find like false platforms and mudslinging campaigns and stuff like that too, that were kind of detrimental to the right. democratic process, but right. Yeah. So that's the world that we live in. Isn't so it great? If they're already willing to, I mean, be that unethical and potentially break that many laws. I mean, is there, there's probably a 
larger conflict between these different companies that do these types of things because they've got to be going at each other too i mean it's it's got to be money at stake yeah yeah i mean who knows i mean this so it sounds like those are the real candidates going against each other it's these these big data mining firms that don't only do that but i guess will also set up classic uh you know, spy, honey trap, whatever, uh, blackmail. Ukrainian girls, because they're, they're yeah. very beautiful. <laughs> yeah, and they also that, you know, this is um this is only a this is only like a result of what has happened with them getting like fifty million Facebook users. Yeah. 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 So you know, this is from this is from the New York Times, which I don't know what you can trust at New York Times. <laughs> Cambridge Analytica, a political data firm hired by President Trump's 2016 election campaign, gained access to private information of more than 50 million Facebook users. The firm offered tools that could identify the personalities of American voters and influence their behavior. Cambridge has been largely funded by Robert Mercer, the wealthy Republican donor, and Stephen K. Bannon a former advisor to the president who became an early board member and gave the firm its name. So there's the Bannon connection. It has pitched its services to potential clients ranging from MasterCard and the New York Yankees to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. What? On Monday, a British TV news report cast it in a harsher light, showing video of Cambridge Analytica executives offering to entrap politicians, what we just talked about. Um... What kind of information was collected and how was it acquired? The data, a portion of which was viewed by the New York Times, included details on users' identities, friend networks, and likes. The idea was to map personality traits based on what people had liked on Facebook and then use that information to target audiences with digital ads. Uh Uh-huh. Researchers in 2014 asked users to take a personality survey and download an app which scraped some private information from their profiles and those of their friends, activity that Facebook permitted at the time and has since banned. So using social media to gain data on these users, on these people, these potential voters, and then targeting them with what these people want to hear. Let's all quit Facebook right now. <laughs> hey, you know, some other monster would just take its place. Let's all stop believing in Facebook right now. <laughs> Let's start believing in it. Maybe it'll stop. One thing I've been thinking about is that maybe kind of the social media craze that we're going through, maybe this is just a phase uh, of this technology being so democratized and everybody having it. You know, maybe in 10 years, it's not going to be the what it is now. Maybe everyone is going to st- start valuing privacy. Maybe after things like this and just the whole psyche of our country, maybe even the world really realize how damaging this stuff has been to our civil societies. Maybe there will be a backlash. I mean, I don't, I think thinking that this, this is just what the culture is going to be indefinitely is short-sighted. Yeah, because everything true. changes, yeah. you know. I think this is like maybe just a growing pains. Yeah. 
We'll learn to adapt to it. You know, kids in 20 years might be laughing at us like, oh man, they were on there sharing everything, <laughs> showing everyone what, their, what, their, what they ate for dinner and uh, ha ha ha. Like, you know, I mean. That's the thing is that I think that I think that the younger generations, I think that they are, they're slowly going away from things like Facebook. Yeah. Facebook is dead to the young I mean, generation. I'm seeing like. When my stepson was in school. When he was in, uh, in high school, I remember, you know, he was, you know, snap, it was Snapchat. Yeah. And, you know, it's still, it's, they're, they're, they, the younger people are migrating more to those other platforms. Um, Instagram, Snapchat. Which I think are less, it's, it's almost just like, well, mom likes Facebook now and she's on there, you know, bitching about Hillary Clinton <laughs> or Donald Trump and I just don't, I don't want any part of it so I'm going to go and I'm going to you know have fun with my friends which was what Facebook was originally yeah. designed for oh, yeah. and you know so I, I think when just people it, people are getting burned out yeah people are getting burned day. out on it and it, it reminds me of that story about the AI uh, that actually X-Files talked about this but that's a real story where they came up with this AI that got on like Facebook and social media became and was talking to people and, like, and became hateful. racist and hateful. <laughs> yeah. Because it learned from other people. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. And they, yeah, they did a good X-Files episode of that, uh, the new, the newer X-Files that, that, that talked about, about some of that. Um, so, it, you know, so I think the people are just, it, when it just becomes, just this, I mean, just this this hate fest all the time, and people just like just fighting their political battles, and people losing friendships over just stuff that just doesn't matter. You know, I was thinking about it today, where people have literally lost friendships on Facebook and social media over what they think should happen, not what is happening, but what they think should happen. Oh yeah. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I think like, I think that my candidate or my person should be the, you know, uh, or, or just, just take Trump, for instance. Just take Trump. You know, where they say, well, Trump is going to – one side says, well, Trump is going to save us. And the other one says, well, Trump is going to save us all and put – are going to are going to kill us all and put us in internment camps and blah. They're going to deport everybody and blah, 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 blah. It's all about what people think is going to happen. It's not what actually is happening. Or people just are are demanding that if you, I mean, I I see you know if you support this firearm or if you support Trump, then just unfriend me now, right? You know, right? I, mean, I see right. that all the time. Right. So. We we had that same thing with the guy that you know contacted me and saying that we were on the fence and because you know Augie Nost liked to get his his uh, his information from Russia today. You know, I didn't say that. He said that, but like, but I didn't challenge him, you know, got to choose a side, man. You got to choose a side. And, and, and it's just, come on. It's divisive. <laughs> I think it's, it's, you know, and I'm definitely not the only person to say this, but it's, it's divisive because you're behind a screen because usually people have a tendency when you're having a real interaction with someone in real life, uh, you try to come to the middle or find some, you know, you're trying to have an agreeable interaction most of the time, unless you're just an asshole. Right. But you know, on the screen, it's like, Oh, I'm proving, you know, it's, it's impersonal. So people are just way nastier than they would be yep. just cause of you know. that. And I think that, um, your body language and 
voice inflections and yeah. stuff are like a way bigger part of communication than most people realize, not Absolutely. just the words. Yeah. And it, it becomes so impersonal. Like it's like you're not talking to a person anymore. You know, you don't have the compassion or the empathy or the other things that would go along with it. That's what emojis are for. Yeah. You use, emo- <laughs> you use emojis for that. We they need help some, slightly. We need some conspiracy <laughs> emojis, man. Because like if I say something and I'm like, oh, I can't, I don't think that that came up. Or I'll just put a smiley face by it. Yeah. Or a laugh face. A little winky face. And then I know that like, you know, hey. It's not taking too My serious. emoji, you know, or, you know, maybe I'll put the shit emoji. <laughs> um, but we got a good email, by the way. Um, so... This is a very positive one. Oh, good. Uh, it says, greetings, Adam. Just a short email to congratulate you on 200 plus podcasts. And it goes out to Rob as well. I really enjoy the work that you do and the humor that goes along with it. I haven't listened to all 200 episodes, but I've listened to quite a few having arrived by a search on Peter Lavenda and Walter Bosley. It's been a pleasure to see your assurance in Jesus Christ grow throughout those years that you've been podcasting. Some other people have told me that it's just the opposite. So I thank this guy. <laughs> I was especially pleased by your pressing Walter on 200.5 to open his understanding. Seems funny. The guy like him can be close to the truth of scripture and encouraging him to look at Dr. Heiser's work. I believe that the divine council worldview is a thread through all these things. Keep up the good work and I will continue to pray for you all as I listen to the next 100 episodes of Conspira Normal. So, well, thank you. That was very, that was a positive email. So thank you. Uh, goes out to that. I won't say who the the, the name, but because we never do. But um, so another announcement, or uh, that we that I will make. Uh, our good friend Serfiel here is going to start being more part of the show. Um, he is um just like the guy that uh, took the place of the lead singer Judas Priest. <laughs> oh no, he was he was a listener. And now he's part of the show, so because I because I appreciate his viewpoints on things, well, and he's definitely it. he's steeped in the all the old conspiracy stuff that I am, so I think you bring uh, a good thing to the show. So, you know, congratulations! Yeah, welcome aboard! <laughs> welcome aboard! Oh man! <laughs> oh wow! No, thanks a, thanks a lot, guys. It's really. Uh, it's it's been real uh real fun and uh, got me really back on fire into researching things and uh it's uh it's gonna be a it's gonna be a, a wild ride. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well we're glad to have you. Um definitely you, you you've added some I mean you like you were the one who suggested this this book to me and uh, you definitely are well read in this material. So um and that way, Rob will will just be over here producing. Yeah, because I never know what's going on. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, Rob, tell everybody about Patreon, and we have been really lax on getting any kind of patron only episodes. I really need to rectify that. Yeah, we're gonna do better. Yeah, about that. Um, um, but we do have a lot of bonus episodes up already. Yes, if you want to check those out, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. And there's various tiers you can subscribe to there. And, um, you know, we got some wallpapers up there. We got a few other little bonuses. Um, if you don't want to subscribe because you don't like having stuff hit your account every month like me, 
Um, you can go to our website and make a one-time donation. We've had several people do that, and we really appreciate that as well. And if you don't have any extra money but you still want to support the show, a quick little iTunes review and a little five-star rating goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, next time I have got um, Aaron Gullius coming on. Uh, he has a podcast called The Saucer Life Ooh. where he talks about some of like weird – Things dealing with flying saucers and uh, contactees from the 1950s. I've listened to every show now, and um, I think that uh, it's really good. Aaron has been on Where Did the Road Go uh, several times. He and Mike Cleland uh, with Soraya did a, like, it was like a 15-part series on UFO history. Oh, wow. <laughs> which I, I greatly recommend that, and I'm, I'm happy to have him on. He's also written a lot of books about uh uh, you know, looking at conspiracy theories from a kind of like a uh, historical point of view and a critical point of view, because he's an historian, another Michigan guy, actually. Oh, nice. So uh, hopefully that, uh, you know, always have to confirm with the guests before. So I'm pretty sure he'll be on. So, all right, guys. Uh, thank you so much. And I'm sure that if Luke were here, he'd have something really nasty to say. So <laughs> you, y'all can just think about him and be offended if you want. Yeah. And then email yeah. us about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Luke is still going to be here. He's still going <laughs> to be with us. I mean, you know, whenever that he can, you know, get away from, he's with us in spirit. He's right? always <laughs> with us in spirit. We'll, we'll put a cardboard cut out of him. Uh, we, we, we still need a Luke soundboard. I can do a little soundboard. Yeah. Yeah. We still need a Luke soundboard. And we, I definitely, I've got like, you know, what, hundred and something episodes with Luke on it. I can, and all, all you really, all I really need is like a few positive responses and a few negative responses. <laughs> It'd be like, Oh man. And a deference to Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the sampler with 16 buttons. You can load up. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There I don't we know, go. man, Rob. <laughs> all right, guys, thank you so much. And, uh, we'll be back next week on Conspiranormal.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.